Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of Macklin's Take. Hope you're all well and that you're enjoying the podcast, that you enjoyed the first one in a new run of bonus episodes last week, which was concentrating on journalism, on print and broadcast journalism, featuring the likes of Thomas Hauser, Steve Farwood, and, and John Denon. And this week, we are looking at trainers. And it's not the first time that we've done this, but we've had a lot of trainers on the podcast and... Therefore, lots of new old material, if that makes sense, to to go back over. Uh, this has always has been stitched together by our, our top producer, Darren Reese, who always makes tremendous choices when it comes to the best bits to pick out. So he started this week with a chat we had with Steffi Bull. Now, this happened back at the start of February in Sheffield. It was the day before, actually, Terry Harper won her world title, her WBC Super Featherweight world title and Steffi's done everything there is to do in boxing he was a fighter of course he's a manager he's a promoter he's a trainer he puts on small hall shows so he knows everything about the sport from the ground up from the very beginnings from the grassroots if you like right up to the top level to elite level Uh, and it was great to sit down and, and, and have a chat with him off the back of Steffi we go to the Second conversation, I think, that we had with Joe Gallagher, and this came not long after his fighter, Natasha Jonas, was in with Steffi's fighter, Terry Harper, and that was in uh, Fight Camp, Fight Camp Week 2, if if uh, memory serves me correctly. And, and what's always fun to talk to Joe about is the psychology of the build-up to a fight and how he determines how he's going to go about it uh, and what buttons he tries to press 
uh, and the way he goes about trying to make sure that his fighter gets what he feels is is a fair crack of the whip and fair treatment. Uh, always enjoyable talking to Joe. After that, we go to Graham Everett, and this one happened back towards the start of the year as well, back in February, before we watched one of his fighters, Ryan Walsh, progress to the golden contract featherweight final. Now, uh, Graham is is one of the most respected trainers in, in the country and has been for a really long time. He doesn't court the limelight. He's not that kind of a guy, but he's just churned out a conveyor belt of, of champions in, in East Anglia, in, in Norfolk. And you speak to anybody within boxing and, and they've got, as I say, the utmost respect for him. He speaks a lot of sense. He doesn't do much media, but um, it was great to be able to to tempt him on. He thought I was joking, actually. He thought that, that Liam Walsh should had, had put me up to it because he'd just been sounding off earlier that day about how most podcasts, <laughs> uh, a lot of podcasts anyway, um, wind him up because he doesn't feel like the people doing them really know what they're talking about. I really hope he wasn't thinking or rather commenting on uh, on ours. After Graham, we go to Mark Rygate, and Mark is head of Fitzroy Lodge, uh, amateur club, famous amateur club in London, and has produced a lot of good fighters down the years. And we did this, well, this would be 15, 16 months ago now, last summer, uh, 2019. And God, I'd love to get back down to an amateur club again soon, because if we could do that, it would mean that they were open and, and they were they were thriving again. And it's just so important that, that that happens, Fitzroy Lodge. It's just unthinkable that clubs like that won't won't survive uh, this current crisis. But they're going to need all all of our help. Um, so important. It's just so important. And, and Mark Rygate was was great fun to talk to, uh, telling us about all the the challenges of of running a, a, an institution like that, and and just how much it it means to him to be doing it, having come up through it and received that kind of help and guidance himself so so that's it i hope you enjoy it oh the shark bait has such teeth there and it shows them pearly white just a jackknife has old maggie bait and it keeps it up out of sight You know when that shark bite I've never been had pleasure of working with an or, an amateur star or anything I'm very proud you mentioned your Jason Cunningham's your Lee Appleyard your Robbie Barrett's even Josh Well had come off defeats at Featherweight and and Jamie McDonald, Gavin McDonald, none of these were amateur stars they were just average fighters that I've and I've took to that level and then Terry Harper were just like just Terry were from our amateur club she'd had uh, 16 junior fights that's all she had won three national titles and a silver medal in Poland and she got robbed blind in Poland for that for that and she was 16 just discovering her sexuality and kind of just fizzled out and it was a shame because I've always said how special she was as a young girl you could you know as whoever weren't gym and if Terry were on pads or sparring people would stop and watch because she had the mechanics of um, of 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 like what you'd say a man she could do it and and all I'd done at the time if you remember that Jamie McDonald were in the gym and I just mean what Jamie were doing hands up elbows in slip fantastic jab straight shot the basics of boxing you can't beat the basics of boxing so she 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 was very uh, 
very well schooled and when she walked away the, a lot of us were broken hearted and then just forgot about she just forgot about because she were at university but just when it right Terry's done and then all of a sudden Katie Taylor comes along and women's boxing's boom it's on Sky TV everybody sat at home watching and I'd got the text message and I was sat at home and Katie Taylor were fighting and I just sent Terry this random message text message saying basically Terry what are you doing with your life wouldn't you ever be interested in fighting again Women's boxing's massive. Uh, it looks like Sky Sports are investing heavily. You, you, you'd be stupid if you never gave it a go. And she inst- instantly got uh, a, a message straight back saying, you know what, she called, uh, obviously, Andrew. You know what, Andrew, I've been thinking I'd like to box for a long time, but I never, just never, never got round to it. And it was like, I would de- dripping into deep waters there because I've never worked with a female as as a pro. We've had her since you were a, a young girl, so I, I was going into the unknown, and uh, so that was two years ago. That was a Saturday. Met her on a on a uh, on the Monday. Signed pro forms the uh, there and then. She didn't ask me any questions, anything financially. Always trusted me because we, we're from a village. We, we, you know, we're all friend, family, friends, or, or whatever, and uh, it's a fantastic story to think she were done and dusted, and tomorrow, tomorrow night, because obviously we, she's going to be chief support within two years. She's already won an IBO title, got a, a, a big deal with Matchroom Sport. It's phenomenal, and I'm very proud because uh, we're from Derby Main, and it's a little pit village, a council estate. And there's nothing in it. There's nobody, probably if everybody, if I knocked on every door now and scraped around, there'd probably be 100 quid in that, in, in that village, you know, and, and I can sit, sit down and all being well to monitor is IBO and WBC champion at World and I can sit down and, and think I've ch- changed that young girl's life forever. That's one man, one, one text message. And, but I put my heart and soul into Terry and uh, I'm very now obsessed with women's boxing and... I were on verge of, like, people might have seen a few things I have put on social media with Scott Westcalf uh, losing his life. I were falling out of love with boxing. I won't train in any fighters anymore. Ray Doll were training most of my fighters. And Terry has rejuvenated me. She'd give me the love again. I've become obsessed. I'm now back training other fighters. And as much as, like, she's, she's very thankful I can get a random text message one day you do know I appreciate everything you do for me and she's a beautiful soul and uh, I'm grateful and thankful to her because if I didn't have her I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today and I love boxing being a part of this big event so I, I, I owe a lot to her but she's special she, not just boxing she's a special person and I, and I believe she's destined for greatness well as I said at the start by the time you listen to this, her fight will have been and gone. So we certainly hope that she is the new WBC champion. But even if she's not, she's very young and defeats are not the end of the world. She's only had nine professional fights. So whichever way that one has gone, we will be hearing a lot more about her in the future. I do think, to be honest, you're kind of underplaying your hand a bit there because with, with women's boxing, generally speaking, up until this point... The really popular fighters have been ones who have come out of the Olympics. Katie Taylor, Caressa yeah. Shields, Natasha Jonas had that Olympic yeah. background as well, of course. It's very important that that's not just it. Otherwise, the pool will be too shallow. Yeah. And you look at someone like Terry, 
And Hannah Rankin is someone I know a little bit, and I know how hard she's had to work to get her profile up there, yeah. but, but she's done it. So how did you do it? Because it would have been harder with her yeah. than it was with men. Well, nobody knew who Terry Harper was either. I mean, we, within two years, we were we, we, we were at. I mean, don't get me wrong, the depth of women's boxing is a lot different to male, but... Uh, there's that, there's that saying that cream rises to the top and you'll have seen if you're on my social media I proper got her out there on my social media uh, and, it, and it has been hard and I didn't I didn't ex- where we're at now I didn't expect it in a million years I had a I had like a, a three year plan in my head I was going to give her four fights a year you've hit the nail on the head she she turned she turned pro at just 21 Not she'd not boxed been in a ring for four years and I just think she's just that good. It, it steamrolled. But when, when people do... I know uh, Matt's commented on, I think, what her last fight. Uh, you commented on Terry's last fight, I think. Yeah, I think and, so, yeah. and you were and, and your comments were very... But you can see, it's like, women's boxing is... is uh, is, is, is getting better and better. And the, and, and the, the quality is getting a lot better. But I think Terry's is a fine example as... as, as you don't need a gold medal to to be successful. She 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 will she will uh, path the way kind of thing for others to be motivated. And look at that girl; she's not been to Olympics, and and there'll be a lot more that will turn pro. Uh, Jamie McDonald. That's, get... that's really important, isn't it? It's yeah. really important yeah. that people people do, see do you know someone what? break are... through from an unfashionable part of the country, maybe like you say from yeah. from a little village, and that, that it can be done. It's, it's massive. It's massive, and it can't be understated because it, you know if you're if you're from a part of the country where it's not getting the limelight or aren't getting opportunities to, to see someone that's gone before you that that's done it. It, it gives you that hope. It inspires you. It, it makes you believe Million you can percent. do it. You know, and yeah. it's, that, that's crucial in any walk of life, let alone boxing. But I think particularly in boxing. Yeah, at the beginning of conversation, we we're talking about the experience. I've been there as a fighter and stuff. Now, Terry Harper's not just come into a gym and achieved all this. She's had the right people behind her. I've had. We talked about the experience as a fighter. I've been a manager 10 years. I've been training professionals 10 years. We're obviously doing something right to work, to, to get to where we've got. And uh, it's surprising that having the right people behind you where you can get. I've got a, a good relationship with Eddie and Matt Shroomot back at McDonald Twins. So, you know, I've, I've been pesting Eddie. If you looked at seen Eddie's DMs, I've been pesting Eddie for 12 months about Terry. And, and he just kept saying, I'll stick her on a few shows, we'll keep eyeing on her. And, said, you know, she 12 months ago when she she, she was going up bottom at Peckin' It's the saying, and it keep knocking the door, the door and someone will yes. answer. And it, you kept knocking the door. I, I begged <laughs> and pleaded with Eddie, come on, Eddie, I've got something special, come on. And he used to say... But it's, it's, it's kind of a perfect example, isn't it? Because I remember this really well because it was a Brooke Zarafa bill, which is, what, yeah. 14 months ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't going to get TV. I think she might have been on Facebook, but I'm not yeah, entirely she, sure she yeah. was. And then David Avanesian against Josh Kelly, that fell out on the yeah. day of the fight. Yeah. Uh, and she was kicked up to the opening fight on TV. On TV. And she boxed really well, and all of a sudden. She looked a million dollars. That, that girl who she'd lost were a Tanzanian, and it's always a bit iffy when, when you're fighting these Tanzanians. But she'd had eight and one seven. She'd lost one on points to Nina Bradley. So it was a solid fight for me to take a gamble. Teddy had only had five fights, but I've always. I, I know how special she is. But. Uh, 
we, we train for it. We're only a six-rounder, and so tell any 22-year-old that, right, we're going on live TV now in an eight-rounder. She was buzzing. When I, I says, we've got an opportunity. Some are, I've got some men, some boys, a bit, oh, I've not trained for eight rounds. Oh, live on TV, there's going to be... A... She was buzzing. What, really? She was screaming. What, re- Oh, she's screaming around the house that she was going on live TV and doing eight rounds. And that's when you know you've, you've, you've got a little bit of something. So, yeah, she looked good. She went out and, and just walked straight through the girl. And then Eddie gave us another opportunity in Nottingham on one of the next-gen uh, J- Jordan Gill cards. And then she boxed a girl called uh, Claudia Lopez from uh, Argentina who had never been stopped, two, a former two-weight world champion. And Teddy just didn't even get out of gear when she stopped her. And then Vivian Obanoff, when I look back now... It was a big occasion for Terry. This it just announced this matchroom deal and stuff, and it was a big Vivian Obanoff who stopped uh, Natasha, and she was I think vicious. We did that fight, didn't we? We did, yeah. and, and and she looked vicious, and so she's so unorthodox is Obanoff. Even it's almost if she don't know what she's going to do. Never. So the game plan was just to stick, move, keep composed, and uh, when I look back, I probably could have sent Terry out to be a bit more vicious and, and look at the stoppage but the fight she were winning that e- that easy and looking that good I kept telling her you know winning's enough let's just win and look good and the response she got from commentary and from all watching and social media were fantastic and now this Eva Wallstrom fight what uh, it's a dare to be great fight You've, when you just mentioned Terry's only 23 year old only had nine pro fights only been a pro two year it's a massive gamble. Eva's only lost one fight to Katie Taylor on points, moving up a division. She's not been beat at this weight, and she's been WBC champion for five years. And they've, they've got Terry as a massive uh, favourite with the bookies. Don't know whether that's testament to how good Terry's looking or whether they've got it well wrong. And it's one of them where Terry Harper's got nothing to lose, everything to gain, because what's going to happen if she went and stopped Eva Wallstrom? What, what would happen then? What's people going to be saying then? It's just one of them fights where we've got nothing to lose and absolutely everything to I think if she does gain. go and stop, I think people will start th- saying how far off... It's Katie Taylor. Yeah. We're getting it already. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, if the opportunity's there tomorrow, we'll, we'll, she'll be going for it. There will be no holding back tomorrow night. That, that, the atmosphere, I'm buzzing myself, I'm thinking about it. The atmosphere in there is going to be sensational. And there's going to be no holding about Eva's not a puncher, so I'm not... I won't be worried about uh, Terry being hurt. Yes, she punches hard enough, but she's not got three stoppages out of 25 victories shows that she's a non-puncher. So, yeah, it's just one of them fights where it's daring to be great. Well, we'll definitely get her on this. Uh, she's sitting just a, a few yards away, actually, but um, with the timing of the fight, uh, it wasn't quite the right time for this one, but we will definitely speak to her in future. Uh, you did mention when the subject turned to, to Terry that... She came along at the right time yeah. because you went through what nobody attached to any fighter ever wants to go through, particularly, well, not particularly anyone, but as a promoter, the last thing you ever want to see is somebody get hurt, let yeah. alone somebody pass away. Boxing on one of your shows, and it, yeah. and it happened. It happened yeah. in that fight. And what I remember most about that is that, if my memory serves me correctly... You you were you were in another corner the next night. Yeah, crazy. Well, that that fight. But this is how this is how boxing works. That fight. Uh, 
None of the fighters on the event were my fighters. Carl Greaves manages Dex Bellman, who sells well, is from Scunthorpe, sells well. And uh, Scott Westcalf were with Glynn, and, and, and they, they, they agreed the fight themselves, and I were happily, it were a cracking fight, and I put it on. So I got no emotional attachment to, to any any of the fighters. Curtis Woodhouse should have been the main event versus John Wayne, but follow, following him. And uh, when it's happening on the night, the last thing you think about is a serious injury. Uh, safety's paramount in boxing. They explained to me that uh, they're going to have to stop boxing because paramedics needs to get this. Our fine. Our fine. You, there, were, there were a couple of drunken people in crowd wanting their ticket money back. But to them, I, I've realised an hour later uh, how serious it was. And I laid in bed... At, my wife were away, so we're on my own. So I drove back from Donny Dome, show went over, cancelled. I lost a hell of a lot of money that day. Enough that any promoter probably won't promote us then. I paid Curtis and John Wayne a bit TV money for their fight. And I, I, I did not get a wink of sleep. I looked at the ceiling because my wife wasn't there. I cried knowing and, and, and how much that young man had lost his life for. Uh, Okay, now when I really do think about it, it's upsetting, mate. But I, I looked at, just looked at the ceiling all night, and I'm like, what am I doing? And then I had to what's get it, up. What are you thinking? What's it all about? What, what's it all about? My wife wasn't there, so I had no one for a cuddle. She thinks you're on holiday with my kids, and I looked at a bar, and I had to drive. Jason Cunningham were on TV the next night fighting Jordan Gill, and that was a cracking fight. And I and I gone and picked him up, and because he's brutal, this game as a parent. We did that fight, didn't we? You we did, won. we did, yeah. yeah. No, it were in... Uh, it, well, I think it were in uh, Manchester. A small, it were in a small hall. That's right, it was a Sunday. It yeah, was a Sunday. It was at Victoria Warehouse. Victoria Warehouse. Oh, yeah, that's why we did it there, yeah. I remember. And I drove to pick Jason Cunningham up for biggest fight... You know, you're on TV, biggest fight he's ever going to be in. I'd not had a wink of sleep, and I cried oh. up, and I, it was a cracking fight, and I cried all night. And I've got to be there as if everything's normal. And and, and and it's like there's no mention of anything because how, how can you go on way to a fight and start talking that what's what's gone off the night before? It just, just gone off. And then Jason goes and gets beat and it was a brutal fight, Jason, you know, and and, and, and same again. And, I, and it all kicked in. I drove on and we had to stop the car. I was sick physically, pulled up the side of the road. Just all the emotion just got to me. And same again, I got on that night. And it was just like, what the fuck am I? Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy. Okay, so we're just going to move this on slightly away from the night itself and talk about something which uh, which interests me a great deal, which was the, the build-up to the fight. And, and the reason it did particularly was because when we spoke to you last November, 
a really fascinating bit of the conversation uh, for me, also for Matt as well, because we talked about it afterwards at length, was going into real fine detail about the build-up to that Quig Frampton fight and about how much thought you put into everything, not just the work in the gym, but what you were going to do at press conferences, what you were going to say in any kind of verbal or text conversation on any kind of public forum. And as things developed for the fight between Harper and, and Natasha, me and Matt were messaging each other and just saying, I think, I think Joe's he's opening up the Gallagher playbook for this one because he's, he's obviously, again, he's treating, treating this in a similar kind of, of way because there were some cages that you felt that you needed to rattle, I think, in the build-up to that fight. Now, you don't always do this. People have the idea that you always do this. That's not true. You don't, you don't treat every fight the same in terms of, of the way you approach it from that psychological point of view and you touched on it there with with you know you sky paying more attention to harper than jonas and how that can get into people's heads so i just want to you don't have to give away any away any of your secrets but how do you how do you go about devising that kind of game plan how do you how do you in your mind at what point do you think to yourself okay this is one of those fights where we've got some kind of hearts and minds to try and win or change in the build-up before we get to the first bell, that this is one of those fights where it's really important that, that I try and do that? Um, yeah, like you say, I, I don't do um, all of it. I think America, they were like years ahead of us over there. I think you learn an awful lot from the first um, Oscar, De La Hoya, uh, the Oscar De La Hoya Floyd Mayweather fight. You had Freddie Roach and Roger Mayweather. And the, the psychology and the build-up and everything in that type of fight, I think, think America is way ahead, always is, and we're coming from behind. But when it comes over here to an extent, and mind games and psychology, and people say to me, I see it on social media, Gallagher trying to make it about himself. I'm not trying to make it about myself at all whatsoever. There's boxing trainers out there that are more interested in putting the face on the camera than worrying what's going on with the fighter in the ring. My job is, is to try and get a level playing field on the build-up to this. Sky better than Natasha Jonas, 100 to 1 at any round. 100 to 1 any round. That's a huge, massive smack in the mouth of disrespect. And what we had to do was turn around and go down there and say, listen, sorry to burst everyone's bubble here, but she ain't that good. She's this, this, and this. Now, I knew Steffi Bull was controlling the social media, so Terry never really seen anything. On the day of the press conference, I walked in and I said to Natasha, you stay outside, don't want you in the press conference. Natasha stayed outside. I walked in and as I walked to the left of me, Terry Harper's there. I thought, right, it's wrong to go in on a girl one for another. But I psychologically had to start getting under the skin and Steffi Bulls. And I had a bit of banter with Steffi Bull and he made it about us by saying it would be 2 0 for Gallagher. So I thought, all right, if you've got to play them games, We'll play them games like, like, do you know what I mean? We'll go it. Concerned, you want to make it about yourself beating me 2 0, and okay, that's it. So it was very much like in the same way I just touched on there when Callum Johnson went, fight, went fighting Buglione. They were touting him, was going on for world titles. CJ hadn't fought for 18 months. And it's known in the gym now, and it's a bad word to use. It's like C mode, where I used it for Crawler Murray, Mundo Groves, and Finger and I feel when I'm like that and so attention to detail, my fighters performing that. I noticed Darren Barker saying, 
it shouldn't be saying um, Tasha's got a knocker out, it's putting pressure on her. But that's what we believe. We believe in trying to knock her out, but people don't get to know you or don't understand you. Matthew's been in that mentality, and I've texted Matthew on the build-up going, she's no better than to write or soft. Do you understand? When we're on it, we're on it, and that just fuels it. So when it came to the press conference and Terry Harper was in there, I started saying, well, because you'd hear it, no, you haven't got a good engine. You only throw 20 punches. You are chinner. You've been hurt three times. First round IBO, round, another round in another fight. You are vulnerable and you will get knocked out. No fighter at that stage close to Wayne will start getting told that they're getting knocked out and they're vulnerable. So then Steffi Bull reacted on the stage, got the bite out of him. He started coming. So I said, okay, then, well, Steffi, last weekend, you were sat set on TV on your own social media going, oh, Tasha's old legs. Oh, look at Terry, Tasha's old and all that. So I just used their words against them. I said, well, you've got to go out and be an old 36-year-old on Friday night. And, he's, and he says, we never said that. I said, yes, you did. And he says, well, we will. So I said, well, go on, go and do it. And I said to Terry, the pressure's all on you. And like it or not, they did have the pressure on them. But... Them type of things is because, as you said, I've gone down there and, and the public and you listen and it's like, I was annoyed because we're talking about an Olympian here, my girl, but it's got a huge experience and I just thought there was a smack of disrespect for her and they used the age and she didn't have miles on the clock, but I thought the bubble, someone had to derail them a little bit, someone had to get under the skin and make them second guess. Now, if there's a rematch, brilliant rematch, it's just like, well, Terry... You're not having Steffi in the corner, are you? And you've just got to start putting the drive the wedge in between them because the advice he gave you in the corner from the first fight was absolutely horrendous. All he kept on saying is beautiful. So you're straight away, you're in on it. Do you know what I mean? We'll grow for it. So it's very hard. You see, fighters sometimes, you've got to remember Terry, and like we showed, she only had 10 fights. They were always in Doncaster, always with a big crowd, always as a favourite. This is the first time she came up against someone that went, nah, we're not scared of you. We'll fight you back. First time she went up against somebody that whose trainers turned around and went, no, you're vulnerable. And like I say, we sort of like, me and Steffi were back and forth. Like I say, we shook hands and everything else. But when you go into war, I think it's more so in America, you really feel this. It's like, absolutely. Sometimes you've been at them Wayne's match the bad blood between the camps and the psychology and you're looking for any angle, blink and everything else. You've seen it with Hatton Mayweather on the scales, the camp, and I remember Kerry Kays trying to move Floyd Mayweather and then going, fucking hell, he's strong, stronger than what I thought he was, but he just gave me a, a little sample. It's People, casuals, don't see what goes on, but Matthew knows 100% what I'm on about, how you're looking and thinking. Matthew, when we went to Germany, was stern. There was no case of being like that. For Sturm, it was a case, let's be nice with him, take him round the corner and hit him overhead with a stick. And that's what we did on the build-up. Matthew was very nice, spoke German in the press conference, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, Matthew, nice, easy defence. Got in there, round one, and Matthew's all over them. So you have to know when to pick your battles and your wits and stuff like that. Um, and it was hard, and I just thought... The huge stage and not having a crowd, we had to get to Terry somehow or another. And Tasha remained, had that very eerie presence about her, unmoved, unfazed, and had that 
conference quality about her all week in the presser, in the build-up, and that kind of nerves some people. And when you watch back, they when the fights arrived at the venue, Steffi Ball's filming everything. Oh, it's brilliant! This it's like Jedi. Like, what do you think, Terry? And Terry goes, "Yeah, I'm going back to the changing rooms now. Nervous, nerves, understand." And then when she's coming to the ring. I kept Tasha, T Tasha warm. I did pads with Tasha in the ring like I did with Matthew Macklin. Don't be standing there watching her come at the ring like a champion. You do some pads with me, keep her focused. Then we took, when she then was getting announced, we turned her back on her, take your robe off, take your T-shirt off. So where their champion tried to strut and intimidate her, lost, lost very much like Matthew when we were against Stern. So it's, it's so much, it isn't that you set out planning it, but you just feel that I've got to do something here to level the playing field a little bit. Well, it's psychological warfare, isn't it? That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Definitely. Like okay, saying, so you know, this... You as well, Johnny, and, and I think in America, it, it's it's huge over here. Not so much... I think you sometimes you see the tables thrown with Chisora or Dylan White and everything else, but you, 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 you're not making it about yourself, but all the time, what I had to do, what they were doing then, the last day, two days before camp, Teddy Harper was justifying, no, I haven't been knocked out from sparring. Steffi Bull was answering questions that they needed to talk about. Then they were talking about Joe Gallagher said he's got to knock it out late there, or Tasha Jonas got knocked out. I'm to justify, Tasha Jonas didn't have to answer or talk about anything rubbish. She's just off getting ready or taking the flak away from her. The, the week of the fight, the training has stopped, but that's when the psychological war warfare really kicks in. That's where you're trying to plant all those seeds of doubt. You're not, you've got lots of time for it because you're not training anymore. You're tapering down, but you've got a lot of time for thinking, a lot of time for self-doubt to creep in, and that's when you've got to plant all those seeds and also then protect your fighter from that negativity as best you can. Yeah, exactly. Hence, as I said to Tasha, you're not coming in the presser. And then I, I, I've been told I think that Eddie sort of like said to Steffi or someone around Steffi, dropped a bollock there. There's no way in the world I'd want my fighter to listen to what Gallagher's saying. And I think that had... Matthew, you know, you no one wants to be told they're getting knocked out, and especially not by the trainer. And, and if there is that... And, and it's wrong, really, because, listen, Terry, she's, she's great. She's done brilliant for the sport. She's only 23. But I'm Tasha Jonas, Jim. And if I can get in there anywhere and rattle I'm going to it's just so interesting hearing all the the ins and outs of it and you've outlined two different scenarios there Joe which leads me on to the question I was going to ask you next as you described the Germany with with Matt's fight against Sturm totally happy for them to think that you're a nice polite happy respectful team who are just happy to be there and grateful for the opportunity because then when the bell goes you can turn that around and maybe you've inspired a bit of complacency in them how do you decide how do you decide when you need to do it the other way around how do you make that calculation that you think the people you're up against are the ones who will bite when you throw out that line who will who will react when when you rattle that cage because it's some people some people some people it won't work with mm. 
Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Yeah, sorry, it's the case of um, not just sort of the fighter, but studying the people around them. Is there any short fuses around them? How they are? You've seen how Terry Steffi was so usually protective over Terry. By everything, as soon as the story went out that she got knocked out, by his response saying, I'm going to make it 2 0, I just thought, nah, I got you. Do you understand? You've bit. There's other times as well. You can't go around doing it all the time. You, you, got, you respect your position and respect Terry and Steffi. And if you're up to go up against a, a, a Virgil Hunter and a Freddie Roach, um, do you know what I mean? It's a level of respect, just world-class fighters. But there's sometimes if there's just that inkling that you can get an edge somewhere around, it's not a fight. You've got to study the team. I studied the corner. I studied Steffi's corner. I knew he usually has three people in the corner with him. He didn't. He had one. And it's like very much coming through um, Tony Sims, good trainer. But point, Tony Sims was never in a corner without Robert McCracken. So I used to think, well, there's either advice or they're in working together or there's a confidence issue until they've gone off away and they're doing it. Tony Sims is a great coach, but very early on in his career, do you remember Matthew when he used to back a Robert yeah. be there or somewhere there? And I used to think, that's weird, I'm sort of like two number ones in a corner. Um, but I know they had a great relationship as well. So it's just things that you look for like that. Um, I remember Scott Quigg going fighting um, the Spider at the MEN. And I think there must have been every boxing trainer in Manchester in the other corner that night. And I thought, wow, they've come out for the photo team tonight, photo picture, thinking they were, they were on to the win that night. And um, when Quigg won him, like, I didn't see none of them. They're all like, they disappeared off through, through, through the seas. So, another thing that's always interested me about, about sort of watching you operate in the, is in the corner, because, especially with the Walshes, because whoever's fighting, the other two are always there as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Manuel, who's sitting just over there, actually, he's, he's, he's generally involved. And what we tend to say when we hear quite a lot of voices in a corner normally is, oh, there's too many voices in that corner. You seem happy enough to kind of let the brothers almost do their thing and just take a kind of overall charge. And it's, it's, it, it just interests me that, because it just shows that there's not just kind of... It's not one-size-fits-all, is it? I, um, to be honest with you, this the only corner that happens like that. It's, it's always been, you know, the other way. But as, as a group of people, even if, even if you're with them, they are taking on board what you're saying. Whoever's boxing... They, if, if, if you spend the amount of time that I've spent with the Walsh boys, they all talk at the same time, but they know what they're saying. It's how they've been brought up. That's how they grow. That's how they've grown together. I've never I'm known guessing, three people so close. I'm guessing the fact that they've come through, all come through you anyway, that you're all singing from the same hymn sheet anyway. You yeah, the listen, same. We, we, you know, I, I said to Ryan Walsh this week, I said, I wonder how many rounds I've actually watched you spar. There's thousands, you know, from... from from a 14-year-old boy up to up to now, you know, when we were in Tenerife recently watching him spy, it looked absolutely immaculate. It's and to some people, what you've just said, 
isn't the right way to do it. And I would probably say it isn't the right way to do it. But I will say this, it's working, isn't it? You know, it's working. He had a, you know, he had a career best performance last time. He's, he, they, they understand there is a noise around him and you often think, you know, it's, it's, it's a conversation where they're all talking, but they're all listening to each other. They've been brought up like that. They're so close. If it works, it's it different. works. It's, yeah, it's if different, it works, it you know. It's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, you know it works, it works. That's why I always say that. You know, uh, you people, it's like textbook and you teach someone textbook. But, you know, people people put their own little individual flair on things. I mean, even, say, from a fighting style point of view, yeah. they've got their own individual style. And, you know, if that works for them, it works, you know. Yeah. Like I say, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. I mean... They, you know, they're absolutely lost without each other. It wouldn't be fair, you know, they're, they're in the corner. That's how they've always been. Michael's big brother, you know, and to be honest with you, they all talk sense. They're all boxing enthusiasts, absolute boxing enthusiasts, you know, and they, they study the game. There's, I mean, you know, they, they absolutely eat, sleep and drink boxing. That's what they do. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not like you've got a fool in there running on shite you know they're, they're talking sense it, it might be uh, it might be taken in, in in a different way to what most people do but I mean most corners if you see me like with, with other people it's always like pretty calm I, I'm the calming influence I'd say that's yeah, I may be the calming influence of, of everything you know that's that's how I see myself what makes me, uh, I think sometimes, you know, in boxing, you get, uh, you'll have a gym that'll be really hot for a few years, five or six years, maybe, and then it just dies off, you know. Uh, and then you'll get people where they might not ever, ha- say, have a massive hot bed like that, but they've always got one or two, yeah. and they've always stayed in. You've been, I think you've been a little bit more like that, haven't you? You've been, you know, yeah. you had, like you said, Herbie High, John Thaxter. Yeah. You've had these, the, the Walsh Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, Sam, Sam Sexton. Sam yeah, Sexton too. I, Danny McIntosh was with yeah. me for a period, you know. It's, I've, I've had fighters slightly under that, like, you know, with Craig Poxton I managed, and like I say, with Billy Bird, Martel. I've got some good young lads at the moment. I'm building, you know, the likes of Joe Steed, Liam Goddard, Owen Blunden, all unbeaten kids, and they're all decent. They're all decent, you know. I, and I, I, I need to... I, I want to get them into them, you know, title fights and push them on. So how many... How many sort of, of your own shows, small or shows, are you doing currently a year and how much of your time does that take off? Well, it's, it's, a, it's Mervyn Turner Shamrock Promotions. We work together. We, we will probably do a minimum of four in Norwich. He, he's, he's doing a show in London soon. I'll maybe have a couple of boys on that. Um, you know, it's, it's, I would say definitely four. And yet it's all time-consuming, all difficult. And to be honest... It's probably more difficult doing the small hall shows now, you know, it's, you know, keep selling tickets and stuff. I mean, we've got Michael Walsh on one next week. You know, I've brought, brought Michael back. He boxed recently, as you know. Uh, one round win. He's now had 12, 12 fights, 12 knockout wins. We're going for the number 13 next Friday. I mean, and, that, and that, I think it's crucial, as, as we, we spoke about earlier. I mean, even, I know even Joe Gallagher now has even started he's, doing he, a few, He's promoting himself, isn't you know, he? Yeah, which is... Stephen um, Smith boxed on one, didn't he, there recently? Because he needed yeah. a win, he needed Jamie to get Quinn, out. yeah. So it's amazing, isn't it? Like, like I said to you, Michael, Michael's boxing on it. I mean, when Craig Poxton come to us, he trained with Matt Smith and Lowestoft. I managed him. Mervyn promoted him. He had, his record was one win, two defeats. We got, got him up. He won about seven or eight fights on the trot. Somebody, somebody mentioned to me they were looking for someone to fight Boy Jones on a Frank Warren show. I went, I'll have that. 
and it, and uh, the matchmaker rung me, Jason McCoy, and, I, and we agreed we agreed the fight. It was on Box Nation show, and um, what a fight! What an absolute fight that was! You know, it was and uh, and I Craig, remember that. I watched Craig, that. Craig won it. That was his great. I night. saw him have another really good one against Josh Job as yeah, well. Yeah, he, he didn't win that fight. But it was, it was a very good close. Fight. It was, it was a, a Steve fight. Goodwin show, wasn't it? And then obviously we got the fight with Leon Woodstock for the WBO European. But let's be fair. There's three TV shows there, or three good, good nights. He would, he would never have got them if it weren't for small, uh, our small hall shows. So we're going back to the bill, don't we, you see? So um, hooray for small hall shows. Well, no, exactly. As we discussed at the start, it's just activity. It's just momentum. You've just got to it just be allows you to stay ready and, and, need to fight. and stay busy. And it's fine staying in the gym and, and all the rest of it, but... You don't have that kind of ring sharpness that you that you need if you're if you're not getting out there on the night. Yeah, like like I know said to uh, Matthew, we, um, we we've got three or four lads we track with you know who come up on the home shows. Like I say, we're at Mar- Ian Martell, a cruiserweight, eight and zero. He's now got a Southern Area title fight. We've got Liam Goddard, six and zero. Owen Blundham, four and zero. You know these fighters are now moving on, and that's the next stage through small hall boxing let's, let's get him uh, Joe Steed 6-0 he boxed on the Sky Show in Peterborough good, good. Oh, no, I remember Joe he's from, Steed he's from yeah. Beach, isn't he? after that so, he got in yeah. he, you know he'd done 10 grand of tickets on the Sky Show didn't he and listen, he's, he's a good kid he's, he's you know he's, he's now 6-0 hopefully 7-0 next Friday you know these boys we've just got to keep moving on when that opportunity comes on a TV show bang we're in you know but without the small hall shows these aren't these opportunities don't come so tell us a bit about the about the Walshes then, because they're they're very well known within British boxing due to their achievements, their stories, uh, their story. Because it's, it's it's the same for all three of them is great. I know that they were introduced to boxing by their dad when they were young. They used to spar each other in the living room. Very competitive set of brothers. I've got an older brother. I I know I, I know how that goes. Matt's an older brother. You've got a younger brother, haven't you? Shame, isn't it? Yeah, you see, you don't know what it's like. You were in the you were in the box seat always. You know, you've got no idea. So how did um, how did they come to you? How did they get started? Well, obviously, I had the uh, I had the gym, I had the pro license. Uh, they they went in the championships, and any time they're in the championships, over they come to spar. You know that that's how it was. Um, we had a good relationship from day one. Like the boys, found them. You know, completely different characters, but they were so, so, so tight, so close together, so loyal. Um, and to be fair, well, I, I've really, really enjoyed watching them grow. I've, I've seen them go from young, young, well, should we say, 14-year-old boys. Now they've all got families with children, and they've got their own houses and stuff. It's, it's been a pleasure to watch them grow, and it's been a, an absolute pleasure to be part part of them. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're, just, they're just great. They're very, very unique. I mean, they've all got houses next to each other, haven't they? Kind of like the Walsh yeah. family estate. It, up it's in, uh, uh, it's the Barnes. It, it, it's called the Barnes, I think. It's, um, <laughs> it's three houses next to each other. All the, all the, all the children, all things, they're, um, you know, they're all brothers and sisters. They, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's a fantastic story. Different. And so with, with, with the big nights you've had with them, you mentioned the... Uh, the grounding you had with the big nights with with Herbie, which was as big as it gets. Um, but obviously Liam had the fight against Javante Davis, and you've got the Mayweather's in town, and you've got to cope with all of that. Mm. And how was how was that experience? And, and, and another one I'd like to 
pick out two was Ryan's trip to Denmark for the European title because I was at that fight. Yeah. I went to that fight and he won that fight. Yeah, to be but honest he, with he you. he didn't get the decision. No, he, he, he won that fight. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, you know, there's a, it's, that's, that's, the, that's also a big thing about when you're boxing away. The first thing we noticed when we walked in, there's a massive ring. You know, it's, it's, it was there for Dennis Sealand to run. Um, it's, you know, I'm one of them people who don't really believe in looking back, but we know we won that European title. And I think Ryan would love to fight for the European title again, but hopefully there's, uh, there's this this to get done with when the, when this golden contract and hopefully there's a world title on the end of that which uh, is possible isn't it you know he's very highly ranked in the WBO so yeah let's, let's hope so. And, so and with Liam as well not not just that fight against Davis but he he then suffered he was just out in the cold wasn't he for two yeah. years he didn't box I mean what that must have he, been watching that must have been difficult he's, he's still come to the gym uh, still trained but he didn't. He was one of them. He he, he just didn't feel like he wanted he wanted to come back uh, and just beat a journeyman up. That's how he felt. There was not a lot of offers for him. And then, um, to be honest with you, MTK come in, offered him a, offered him a management deal, which was absolutely brilliant. And uh, we're on the move. We're back in the groove. And and you know, it's, he's always lived the life. He ain't had like two years on the Guinness. He's he's uh, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't do anything he shouldn't do. You know, as I've always said, William and Ryan, their only vice is a bar of chocolate, if that's a vice, or a cake. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways and have a ton of fun we're recruiting you we are the one stars which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like joey chestnut evander holyfield bobby hurley jenny finch ryan lochte montel jordan new guests every week compelling interviews that you want to hear check us out wherever you get podcasts one star recruits My first boxing club was a place in Fortinheath, which is in Croydon, a place called the Croydon ABC. I think Croydon at the time, there was about three boxing clubs. You had Addington Boxing Club, you had South Northern Victory, which Matt and I know about, and then you had Croydon ABC. Um, I started school as a junior, as a, well, started school, senior school, and then I had uh, a lot of my mates were a lot older. They all turned around to me one day and said they was going boxing. Didn't really have any interest in boxing, but because they were my mates, I went away with them. Turned up at this gym above a pub, went in, walked into the gym, opened the door. It's either above a pub or underneath a railway arch, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's, that's where the best ones are. Yeah. yeah I didn't realise it was, it was tiny, tiny little gym, like I was saying about the ring earlier. The ring was about four pallets the size of it. There was about three punch bags, and there, there was about, I think, 20 or 30 kids in the gym. And uh, you go to a boxing club, I walked in there, and that's your reaction is all the other kids are looking you up and down, seeing who these new lot are walking in through the door. And then um, I think we've done a little bit of a warm-up and things together. And then um, next thing you know, I'm sparring. And I got into the ring. Didn't realise there's a bit of an etiquette with sparring where the person that's been doing it a little bit longer sort of takes it easy with a beginner. 
unless they take liberties, then he's going to let you know. And then I got in the ring, and my first person I ever sparred was a fellow called Wayne Alexander. And uh, he come up to me. Jesus Christ, that's, <laughs> that's heavy work. Yeah. A, a baptism of fire, I think they yeah. call that. Just not, nice and relaxed, walked up to me, and my first reaction was hit him as hard as I could. And I hit him, he staggered back, but then he looked at me as if to say, you're going to get it now. And by the end of the round, I was in the corner with my knee up in the air, in from every punch that was coming my way. But I was there for a bit. Had one coach, which was John Niverson. Then the next coach was a fellow called Fred Puttock. Um, then my final coach was a fellow called Stuart Good. He lived on the same estate as me growing up. He basically used to box for this place, the Fitzroy Lodge, or his whole family did. And then um, I think he, what used to happen here was when you become an amateur and you decided to turn professional, you didn't really get involved with the club anymore. You sort of make a guide you off into the right direction. Then you'll go and box for whoever you're going to go and box for. But most of the pros that have gone on have never really come back. I've never been involved in boxing. So he decided to come to Croydon because I was only half decent one there, looked after me. Got me thinking about boxing, got me into boxing. Next thing you know, Mick's asked him to come down here as being a coach and then he came down here. And that's how I ended up here when I was about 19 years old. And what were your first impressions of this place when you walked through the door? Because, as I say, it's been here since since 1946. It's it's a very established club now, but there's always that feeling of slight nervousness when when you push the door, any door, whatever yeah. it may be, for the for the first time. And, and and that's why you know what it feels like for everybody else who comes comes in here. Was there any kind of you'd been boxing already, but was there any kind of trepidation? I mean, even you must have had this when you first started boxing. Yeah, definitely. I remember the first time. So when you were setting the scene there about one of the archways or above a pub, and I had to laugh because Smalley Boxing Club, when I was, they've moved now, but back then they're on Faisley Street in Digbeth, which would have been very much peak of blind the territory, yeah. as seen in the film. But I remember going up the stairs. It was, a, I mean, it was a real worn out, derelict type building um, above a calf. You know, walked up the steps. And it was like, you know, you could hear the music banging before you got to the door and then you'd open the door, which was kind of midway in the gym. So, like, when you opened the door and you walked in, you were in the middle of the gym, everyone was looking at you. To the right was the ring, which was backed up against that wall. Yeah. And then, you know, to, to the left. And oh, there were some changing rooms. But um, it was, you know, it wasn't... I mean, it was as rough and ready as you come. There was no high-tech equipment, nothing like that. There was a few old photos, pictures, fight posters on the wall. There were six tatty old bags and a, and a ring you know good ring big high ring and um, and tunes blaring loads of boxes in there very much uh, us against the world atmosphere yeah. and uh, you know it was well, there were some good fighters there you know we, like, we mentioned before we started speaking on this mark uh, Mark and Paul Ramsey they were good uh, ABA champions yeah. both turned pro ended up being journeymen but you know when they turned pro they, they were good prospects and uh, you know both of them fought Ricky Hatton I think Mark fought him twice uh, and, and probably a who's who of prospects around that time, but um, yeah, I think I think that the time when you walk in the door for the first time, I think that's that's a moment you never forget. So, what was it about this place that, that means that you're still here now? It's the people. I think it's the people that uh, you, I don't think you realise what a coach does for you or what the people involved in the boxing, whether it's. 
the, your, your, your gym mates, whether it's the people who just run the club, the people that you're boxing against. It's, it's, it's weird, you get a nice, you get a relationship with them where um, I don't think I've ever fallen out with, with any boxer that I've boxed or anything like that. Become friends with them, got a lot of mutual respect. Anyone that's basically got in the ring and box, you got to give them 100% mutual respect. But um, yeah, it's just like when I first came here, it was, uh, I used to come here, but the first time I came in through the door, Mick sort of off, Mick knew me anyway, but didn't really know me. But then when Mick, so at the end of the day, when Mick did, he did pass away, Mick sort of knew me really when I first started boxing, because he was a matchmaker and he knew about us. And like uh, Bill, Bill when he was here, didn't really know Bill Weaver, but then the amount of time that you're here, it's like I've had the best times of my life down this place. And it's basically made me who I am today, so. I mean, professional boxing, you know, the glamour and the television and the money and everything. But I think, I know a lot of fighters and I've had great professional careers. Their fondest days, really, and their fondest memories were the old amateur clubs. And it's almost like um, an extended family, really, a lot of the time. And, um, and I, th I think there's something, you know, we're talking about opening the door. You said about the first spa with Wayne Alexander, you're going in there, you're out of your depth, these kids, more experience. It's going to take you a bit like first, but you're maybe aggressive, so you stick it on him. You know, you get a bit of a clump and but You know, it's like having your first fight then as an amateur, or you're going into the championships. Or the, it's building character all the yeah. time because you're facing fears all the time, and you're, going, you're, and you're facing them, and you're dealing with them, and you're getting past yeah. them. And you're having your dis you know, you lose your first fight, you're heartbroken, you come back. It's yeah. I, I think I think amateur boxing, um, especially because you're a kid and you're going through it, 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 it really instills something steely in yeah. your character. And, and whether you go on and become an international professional fighter and have a great career or, or not, I think it's something that really kind of it, it, it's an asset to you for the rest of your life and whatever. Yeah. Road you go down after that. Yeah. Was it something you needed at that point in your life? Did you did you need that kind of that discipline and that 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 regime? Where, or if when, you hadn't had it, could there yeah, have been problems? I'd have been totally different. I'd have been. I definitely not. It's like now. If I'd have, if I'd have turned professional, it might have worked for me. It might not have worked for me. So you sit down and think about it now. If I it did turn pro. Everyone want it's like me, I had all the posters up in my bedroom. I want to be like that fella there, all the Sugar Ray Leonard's, Marvin Agler's. That's what I want to be like. At the time, Tyson was my favourite favourite fighter, and I was like, yeah, I want to be like him and do whatever. But, um, the crowd, the sort of crowd that I knocked around with, it was like, out of all my mates, they're still up to no good now, whereas I'm not. I've been structured led down a path where I know what's right, what's wrong. I know not to do this, not to do that. But it's like going back to Mick. When, when I first met Mick, Mick, Mick used to be immaculately dressed. And uh, he used to be like a top bloke, top, top geezer. And I used to be in the gym some days and I used to watch all these people come in. I'd be like reading a book about a South London gangster or someone this, someone that. They'll come into the gym and they'll come into the gym and I'll go, oh, wow. But the amount of respect that they give Mick, and then I realised after a while, you, you don't need to do anything to get that respect because the amount of time that you give up and the amount of energy that you give up, that's where he got his respect from. I, th I think that's, that's really key, isn't it? Because I'm just reading a book at, uh, at the minute by, by Don McRae, his latest one in, in uh, Sunshine and in Shadow, and it talks about how 
Jerry Story in Belfast managed to yeah. um, unite both religions through through boxing, or rather, he was allowed to coach both religions, and it wasn't it wasn't a problem for him. And and he said the reason was is that violent men, because we're talking about terrorists generally, uh, in that particular instance, they they respect hardship and they respect sports where a lot is is asked of you, and and that's. That's certainly the case with with, with boxing, and, and and as you say, that's there is that element of street cred to it. But but that might be why you originally come. But then when you get here, you realise that it's not it's it's not all about knocking people out like Tyson. There's there's a lot of hard work to be done. So I've been in this gym some days where I've had some of the highest people in society, some of the worst people in society, some of the top criminals in London, and loads of old Bill. Everyone's been in there having a laugh, doing whatever. As soon as you walk outside them doors, everyone goes off into their own little directions in what they're going to do and whatever they choose to do. So, but when everyone's in there, we've always been taught, no matter what you are, what religion, colour, race, everyone's the same. And that's what we're always taught. Everyone's the same. So we're all doing the same thing. And that's what we're all working towards, the same thing. A few years ago, um, my old amateur coach, Pat Benson, He's in his mid-80s now. He won uh, an award. I don't know if it was BR&B or, or, or Midlands Today. It was one of those media outlets had a, an award. It was the Unsung Heroes, and he won it. But I, I think I think, I think think the coach of an amateur club in any city in the world, that's the UK, should probably, should probably win the Unsung Hero every single year because there's that many of them in all various different parts of this country. Oh, and and all, all the world. That are just the amount of hours they're putting in. And, and boxing was always the, generally the sport for the underprivileged, wasn't it? You yeah. know what I mean? And you didn't, didn't cost much money to go to boxing. You might, I know it's small league. Didn't, we didn't, no one paid anything. Sometimes the, that's, you, you were supposed to pay a pound a week, but I don't think he even collected it. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. whatever. This is uh, you know. the same down here. It's like kids pay a pound when they come down, seniors pay a fiver. Basically, they pay, they're supposed to pay their annual membership, which pays towards their affiliation. We kit them all out. We give them the kit to train to box in. If we get, say, like, people donate boots or donate gloves to them, we end up giving them the gloves rather than store them or sell them. But it's uh, constantly... It's like my first coach. Didn't really know much about boxing, but he always, no matter where we was, all over England, London, wherever, he always dropped me off to my doorstep at night. He didn't drop me off at the boxing club and make me make my own way home. He always dropped me off on my doorstep. So if he had about 10 kids in the van, that means he's got to drop off 10 kids. And he dropped them, so that's why I do exactly the same. When the kids go somewhere, I make sure I drop them off on their doorstep and go wherever. And he goes back to that again with the gym. When you're a boxer, you come into the gym. You come in the gym, you might do what you're told, what the coach is telling you. You do the bag, you do your workout, you do your spot. Once your session's over, you go and have a shower, go home. Then you become a coach, you become a coach. Next thing you're doing, you're looking after the kids. You might tidy up the gym after, have a little chat, travel about looking after kids, other people's kids. Then you go home. But then when you run the gym, you've got to find the funding to look after the gym. You've got to find all the equipment. You've got to try and get all the money off people. You've got to try and arrange the shows. You've got to do this and do that. And it's just... Then you realise how much that they've done. There's no doubt that um, in our, particularly in amateur boxing clubs, and from the, especially ones who started at a young age, the everyone have gone through the ranks. 
even years after, like now, you know, people in the mid 30s, 40s, whatever, and you see them, and they, and they probably never, it, maybe they never even boxed senior, but they, maybe they only boxed for four or five years as a, a schoolboy junior. But you see when they meet up, whether it's at a, a function or something, there, there's, and it's hard to explain this really, but there's a bond and there's a respect that. Yeah. Uh, unless you know, it's very difficult to explain it to someone. Uh, you, would, you, would you agree with that, Mark? Uh, whoever I've, whoever I've boxed with, Wayne, Wayne Alexander, the very first person I spoke with, I'm always seeing him, have chats with him. He might help me out with something, I might help him out with something. Craig Stanley, who I very started boxing with, his, his brother is now with my sister. So I've known the whole family since I was 11 years old, so he's like a brother as well. And then I've got all the boxers down here. I've got Nigel Travis, who basically, he's, they're like family. He is family. Family, you've got Eddie Lamb, who's family. And then you've got all the other boxers. And so we, we meet up, we go to christenings, we go to birthday parties, surprise celebrations. And so I might even do a reunion for all the boxers just to come down and have a little chat and whatever. And the same with all the committee members, all the committee members, the people that used to box for the club. And they're all still here, still come back, still train. Most of the people that come here, most of the people have been coming here for about 20 years. And they still come down. We all know them, cab drivers, police officers, firefighters, people who work for the government, all come down. And they're still part of the club. I, there's definitely something about boxing in terms of in terms of the kind of empathy that it inspires. And I think I think empathy is probably the strongest force there is in terms of bonding people. If you've, if you've been through the same thing, you see two fighters at the end of a fight, they've been through that together. If you've just boxed, you've both boxed, you might not have boxed each other, but you've been through that together. And to take that a step further, a, a crucial part of your job is the fact that kids will come through these doors and, and, and they want to train how to box, but they're looking for a bit more than that as well. And you grew up in, in, in inner London, if they're from around here, if they feel like you know what their life is like because you lived it a few years ago, then that's another thing, isn't it? And that's another kind of aspect of, of your job, I think, to try and get to get to know the youngsters who, who come here because a lot of them, it's you know, life's hard. Mick done the same with us. He had, he had his fate. It's quite funny because I think he like a rogue sometimes, a little bit of a rogue, a little bit of a cheeky kid, whatever, but... He still knew how to control them. They say things, they say, they say one thing to you. I think I've never really had an argument with him, but I might have had a moan about something. And he'd just say one little thing, one little thing. I go away and think about it. And all of a sudden, I go, oh yeah, you're right with that. And then say, from me, for me boxing to being a coach, and then Mick was here. I remember we was going out to New York one time to box out there against the um, NYPD and the, the sheriff. To me, the trips were the best things because the coaches were a bit more relaxed and you see a different side to them and all this and that. And I've had the best times of my life going around on trips. And I remember we was walking down the street one day and one, I was talking to one of the other coaches and he said to me, he goes, well, that's nice what Mick done for you. And I was like, what's that then? He goes, uh, got you the job working for the kids, teaching them boxing and all that. I went, no, he ain't said nothing to me. So then I said to Mick, I went, um, what's this job then, Mick? And he had just had a chat with someone, got some funding. Next thing you know, I'm down here teaching kids exactly the same background as me, boxing, trying to um, structure them the same way as me and trying to help them out. And then from there, 
I've been down here ever since, and then so doing the best job really that someone could love. Well, I've got an absolute blinding opportunity to be down here all the time, every day, come from my house down to here. But then, I say, because he used to say to me, when I was finished, he used to tell me to go home. And then I would go, no, nah, stay here and help out the juniors and do this and do that. And he used to say, no, go home. But then I didn't realise that you got the family life of it as well. And so I've got a grown-up daughter, I've got a wife. I'm down here more than I am in my, in my house. And she don't hardly see me, my wife or my daughter. Now I've got a granddaughter, so I've got to make a bit more effort in coming here and then going home. So I think, uh, I think families of, of people who run boxing clubs have got to be very, very patient. They've got to have a patience of, of saints, really. I thought about getting my missus involved sometimes, and I'm like, no way. It's like Travis and that, yeah, there's no way I'm getting her involved. So there you go. That's another Macklin's Take bonus episode. Another one themed around trainers with Steffi Ball, Joe Gallagher, Graham Everett and Mark Rygate. Hope you enjoyed that. Coming next on Tuesday next week is a deep dive into one of the biggest fights of all time. A deep dive into the contest between Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard from 1987. We go into this fight in real depth, real detail uh, with the author Brian Dugan, who has written a book called The Super Fight, Hagler versus Leonard, which is going to be out in the next couple of weeks. It's not really something we've done before, get right into the guts and bones of a really big fight, uh, but we very, very much enjoyed it. And I think it's this kind of thing that we will look to do, to do more of possibly in the future. So that's out on Tuesday. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay well. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.